In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, Race for City Hall. I'm your host, Greg Belustein, and I'm here with City Hall reporters, Will Novos III and J.D. Capilouto, to talk about all the latest in the race for mayor of Atlanta. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So, look, I bet you can't even count how many debates and forums you've counted, but just in the past few days, there's been, of course, the AJC debate, uh, the forum that was very cordial. You had the sometimes tense WSB debate. You had the Atlanta Press Club debate that was pretty much entirely tense. You had a much more cordial 11 Alive one the other day. What have you learned, if anything, as these, as the people who have been watching this race, is, this race closer than anyone? What have you learned, if anything? There are too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> too much Cal- information. Councilman Dickens mentioned uh, uh, last week at, at the uh, 11 Alive debate that uh, there are like 20 to 25 forums they've participated in. So, you know, Councilman Dickens mentioned at the 11 Alive debate that they've been to about 20 to 25 forums. So, um, honestly, if you're plugged into this as much as we are, it, it, you can feel some fatigue. Yeah, I think it's more than 20 to 25, honestly, uh-huh. since in the last few months. I mean, <laughs> and even with the debates that we're now having, which are more traditional what you expect in a political race we're still having the everyday forums just as uh, you know last week i was at you know a, a forum that was in buckhead that was all about buckhead issues where it was just very cordial not as much of the um you know contentious clashes between the candidates um so we're still having those as well so it's been a busy busy time now will you got to panel your i guess it was your first debate in atlanta oh boy yeah, yeah the atlanta <laughs> press club debate the other day Get, kind of give us a behind the scenes glimpse of what it was like to come up with the questions to be before the cameras for the first time you might have done it in new orleans before but the first time in atlanta uh being sort of in the spotlight yes i'm not a fan of the spotlight i usually (laughs) like to be (laughs) i enjoy to be uh behind the camera rather than in front of it uh with with the folks the real stars of the show yeah no it was interesting i had to sit in the makeup chair i got there late so actually i didn't sit in the makeup chair i sat in the camera chair and they did my makeup right then and there. Got the touch up right there. Yeah, Ooh, yeah my nice uh, shiny bald head. So no, it was it was really interesting. I was a panelist alongside Rose Scott. She was awesome. Um, I created all the questions myself. A lot of the questions were questions that we actually uh, came up with for our own uh, AJC forum and I said, yeah, we didn't have time to get to these questions so let me just uh, throw them out at this uh, debate. Now JD, you were covering the debate from the media room at GPB. Um, what was what was a standout moment for you when you're listening to this that, that you know maybe pushed the the ball a little forward? Yeah, I think you know the news from that debate, like you mentioned earlier, was just how 
tense things yeah. got. Like the knives really came out. You know, you had Kasim Reed calling Andre Dickens the wily e. coyote of this. How can we trust that you've made a change when you still have a blind spot to corruption even today? Uh, Andre, uh, you're the wily e. coyote of this. Um, the bottom line is this. I understand and accept responsibility for the things that happened in my administration, the actions that were taken. But if you look at the individuals, their behavior did not relate to systemic corruption of your government. Corruption at Hartsville, Jackson, absolutely not. Corruption at bid rigging, absolutely not. We have a lot of work to do to make sure that this doesn't happen again. But the one thing that I can guarantee you is that Andre Dickens isn't the person to talk about it. He left a bankruptcy. He left owing $1.3 million to women and men without ever being held accountable. And then he used a false address to actually run for Atlanta City Council. Unfortunately, I have the bankruptcy petition right here. You should see how he lived his life while he's talking about mine. 30-second rebuttal. Yeah, that's categorically false. Yes, I had a bankruptcy. In 2010, during the Great Recession, uh, uh, millions of people lost their job, millions of people lost their homes, and 1.5 million people filed bankruptcy. I had a furniture business from 2002 to 2010, and that, that business failed during the housing crisis because furniture goes with housing. But I paid all my employees. That business had 20 employees, three locations, and even Kasim Reed was a customer. This business was good, and then... We need to talk about the moral bankruptcy of you having seven people seconds. in your administration you. to be able Antonio to get Brown, indicted. We're move on and so you did a great job selling furniture, but you never paid back the one point one million. We are going to move on to Antonio to Brown's question. Bankruptcy is legal, and I did it in a proper way. What and you and your administration have done is illegal. We have a lot of ground to cover tonight, and I'm going to ask you to stick to your time. And then, of course, former Mayor Reed and and Council President Felicia Moore went at it too. They they had a lot of back and forth. That was definitely something where in the press room, every time that happened, our ears kind of perked up. We're like, oh, haven't, haven't really seen that before. Mr. Reed, you headed the most corrupt administration in Atlanta history, the rap sheet. People jailed, indicted, awaiting trial. $30 million and counting for DOJ responses. And it keeps going. The tone is set from the top. Criminals like your melody. Why should Atlanta voters believe that you are singing a different tune? Well, I'm not singing a different tune at all. Um, what I'm offering voters is a clear choice. Uh, the bottom line is I never dishonored my office and I kept my word to the people of Atlanta. I am here because Atlanta is, a cri is in a crisis that occurred under your watch. Crime is up 58% and 157 people were murdered last year. You are attempting to smear my name despite the fact that I am not under investigation and you're doing that to distract from your own record. A record of a record high tax increase, a record of not funding police officers when they needed help, a record of allowing the police department to shrink and a record of allowing people to be murdered, all on your watch, and you never said a word. But what you did do was to always vote 
to raise your salary? 30 seconds for a rebuttal. My record does not include being under investigation of any kind by any federal authorities. It does not include having the need to have criminal defense attorneys. My record has been stellar and I've served with integrity and will continue to do so. You always said, and you said it to me directly, nothing goes down in City Hall unless you know about it. I told you I believed you then and I believe you now. You led the most corrupt the most corrupt administration in Atlanta history. And the statement that you said that I said is a complete lie. I never said nothing goes down in City Hall. So things are testy, right? Um, And we're in this dynamic with now two weeks. We're in the second week of early voting Mm -hmm. right now. We're in this dynamic where looks like, and we'll have more information on this soon because the AJC will soon come out with a poll with the latest up-to-date on where, where things stand with the, two, with the top candidates in the race for mayor. But it looks like Kasim Reed and Felicia Moore are the two front-runners, the co-front-runners. What, what is Kasim Reed most worried about at this point in the race? The issue, from what I understand talking to some political strategists, is that uh, everyone knows Mr. Reed, right? And that's either going to help him or hurt him, considering all the things that happened in his administration, Whereas Council, Pre- Council President Moore, um, yeah, she's been here for several years, but she doesn't have that sort of recognition. So she can kind of define her image. And so Kasim has to do that before she can. And that's why you see uh, his um, Felicia Means More Crime.com effort that his campaign is funding. And uh, it's, it's, you're just going to see more of that because it's clear now that he thinks that's his main opponent, right, JD? Right. He's definitely targeting her directly more than any other candidate. Um, but also she does have, a, you know, way more name recognition than some of the other candidates in the race still. And that's what they say is kind of their chance to get to a runoff is, look, you have these two candidates who are really well known in Atlanta and you still have so many people undecided. So clearly they're looking for something different. And so, you know, and uh, Andre Dickens, Antonio Brown, Sharon Gay, they're all saying, look, you all know these people and they're not rising in the polls. So that's where we kind of have the chance to build that momentum heading into uh, you know, these final two weeks of early voting. Yeah, and our last AJC poll showed a whopping 40-something percent of voters were undecided. Other polls have showed it close to a third. So there's still a huge number of polls uh, that show so many undecided voters. So so these three other main candidates, Andre Dickens, Antonio Brown, Sharon Gay, what are they trying to do to break out of that pack? Because I've heard a lot more aggressive stances from Andre Dickens in particular going at it with the mayor, former Mayor Reed. Um, at, at some of these recent debates. Yeah, Councilman Dickens, uh, it's clear that what he's trying to do is he, he doesn't want uh, folks to think he's uh, weak, frankly speaking. I mean, say what you will about Mr. Reed, uh, he does have a reputation for being a very aggressive politician, right? So uh, his opponent is going to have to show voters that I can be aggressive as well. And I think that, that was really what we saw uh, at last week's uh, Atlanta Press Club debate. I mean, Dickens and uh, Reed had this intense crossfire, and um, that's just all a part of uh, what, what Mr. Reed called the inside baseball of politics. Let's listen to a cut of that. Put your sort of consultant hat on, not to ask you to go cross journalism lines, <laughs> but if you're if you're watching Sharon Gay, you're watching Antonio Brown, what hope do they have um, to muscle into that top two right now? I would say continuing with advertisements. I don't think we've seen Antonio Brown release an ad yet. Um, that is something that would probably benefit him just to get that name recognition out there, especially because he's the candidate that stands out the most from the rest in terms of his beliefs. And he's definitely 
you know, the most progressive candidate in terms of his stances on criminal justice and public safety. Um, and so I think, you know, owning that and, uh, you know, being more visible with that what could be a definitely a step for him. Um, as for Sharon Gay, she was on the air for a while and then took her ads off and, and her campaign didn't say why. They said they don't comment publicly on strategy. Um, but it, so so that's anyone's guess. And but it could be because of money issues. Possibly. You guys yeah. reported on fundraising yeah. um, recently. Former Mayor Reed has a commanding lead in terms of the money game. And that matters for this final stretch because that's when voters are starting to tune in and they're looking to look at these ads and say, hmm. You know, Kasim Reed's ad or Felicia Moore's mm-hmm. ad sticks in their minds. And I really hope that we get to see Councilman Brown's financial report. I mean, it was unfortunate. An unfortunate circumstance happened to where uh, his uh, documentation cannot be uploaded onto the city website, so we couldn't find that information. But to your point, Greg, it's amazing that all of these candidates are either raising or investing so much into their uh, campaigns and uh, what's more interesting to me is the rate at which they're spending money. So like Reedmate uh, darn near had uh, nearly three million bucks, but he only has like nine hundred grand left. Um, only nine hundred grand. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? Oh, must be nice. Uh, <laughs> but but seriously, like, uh, and then the other candidates, uh, uh, Miss Gay invested uh, more than a million bucks into her campaign, but she mm-hmm. has like four hundred and seventy grand left. Long story short, I mean, they're really burning through this money, and I wonder if Councilman Brown. Uh, if he has money at that level, uh, if he's going to start throwing a whole bunch of bucks uh, toward uh, advertising, I don't know, because uh, hopefully we, we see that report this week. Yeah. Of the four candidates, the top four candidates that have released reports, Councilman Dickens has the least amount left in the bank. He did raise over a million dollars, and he said he's very proud of, of how he was able to do that, but he, he has 200000 left. And so that shows how he's been spending a lot on ads in the last few weeks here. And this is also a, a moment where Sharon Gay... It, who, who's independently, you know, who's, who's earned a lot of money in her, in her career as a lawyer, this is where she's got to decide, too, whether she pumps more money into her own campaign to get across the finish line or if she holds pat of where she is. She's already, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. invested seven figures. Does she put more money in to try to fund some more advertising, some more staffers, more grassroots organizers to get out, the, get out the vote and knock on doors? Or does she basically say, look, you know, there's, there's not much more that she can do? Right. I think uh, new polling could, could also dictate that as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. I have a lot more questions for you guys, but let's take a quick break before we get back to it. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to the special edition of Politically Georgia podcast, Race for City Hall. I'm here with J.D. Capilouto and Will Nobles III, our two amazing City Hall reporters. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Happy to be here. Hello, hello. So we talked about what you guys have learned in the recent debates and forums about the candidates, but you also hit the actual neighborhoods and streets and communities with the voters who will be deciding this race with a team of AJC reporters. Um, and so I'm curious to, see, to, to, to find out 
what was the kind of standout issues you learned about the people, the, the topics that were on people's minds from those interviews? Yeah, this was such a fun project, at least for me personally. We we picked seven neighborhoods and kind of had a team of reporters. Um, Will and I each went to two, and then some other people each hit one neighborhood. And um, it's a video series, so you can check that out on AJC.com. Um, but it was really, really interesting to, to talk to voters, not really in a political sense. We weren't interested in knowing which candidate they were going to vote for, but we wanted to know, like, what do they want from the next four years at City Hall? Um, what I heard a lot, um, obviously crime, but a lot of people were very specific about addressing um, 911 responsiveness, but mm. also addressing the mental health aspect of that and getting more to the root causes of, of crime. Um, and affordable housing, growth was something I heard so much. The big issues are the same here in Buckhead as they are anywhere else, you know. Taxes, education, funding, resources, infrastructure. Most recently, uh, the, the perception of an increase in crime. I had uh, the neighborhoods of North Buckhead and Westview, which is in southwest Atlanta. In terms of displacement, we have our legacy neighbors who um, currently can't fulfill their tax obligations. Um, and just because of the comps in the neighborhood, their taxes obviously are going up. Um, they are feeling the pressure of needing to keep their homes up. These homes were built between 1925 and 1935. Um, so there's a lot of maintenance that needs to happen. Um, at the same time that they're facing these maintenance items on their homes, we are getting calls from developers who also want to move into this neighborhood. Our property taxes shot up between last year and this year. I can only imagine what that feels like for people who paid, you know, $30,000 for their home, $50,000 for their home. And in both of those uh, neighborhoods, growth and uh, housing and housing costs were on near the top of voters' minds almost as much as crime. And that was interesting because obviously it was, it was different kind of ways they were grappling with it and different types of growth they were seeing in both of those neighborhoods, but it was still the top issue. And this is really cool for me because, you know, I, I literally moved to the city um, last year. And so I, I didn't know that much about Atlanta. And so I went to the communities of Summer Hill. We've been here for 37 years. So we've seen some of the worst of Summer Hill and, yeah. you know, we've seen some of the improvements and then some of the best of Summer Hill. As well as Vine City, which are both just super historical places, right? You had the Olympics in Summer Hill and you uh, had, um, you know, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Ms. Coretta Scott King, they both lived in Vine City. Um, former um, Mayor Mar Maynard Jackson lived there. So there's just so much history at these places. What is the centerpiece to our city's legacy and vision that should be big? This isn't a small town legacy. And so in my opinion, it's always been centered in justice. It's always been centered in equity, equality. And right now we're a city that it's just so divided. And you know, unsurprisingly, the folks said, yeah, crime is an issue, we're worried about crime. Um, in Vine City, the folks we spoke to, they were uh, particularly passionate about uh, wanting the next mayor to have a better relationship with the police and to ensure that police officers get uh, proper training and accountability, uh, but also due process, right? The community appreciates the awesome investment that has been made in Vine City and for Vine City's future. Now, that future needs to be more engaging with those from well, in the, in the faith community, they said from the uttermost to the guttermost. But we can look back at this place in time that we made a difference. And so uh, 
in Vine City, uh, there was also concern about crime, but there was also concern about uh, these root causes of crime, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, such as uh, addressing poverty and ensuring that affordable housing is there, especially for long-term, uh, long-time residents. So yeah, it was it was a mix, and it's so fun talking to. Oh, folks are gonna hate me for saying this. Real people, right? <laughs> a journalism <laughs> so, term. Yeah, yeah. Man on the street, right? Exactly. So that was always uh, that's always great to do. But it's always important for us as reporters too to kind of do that gut check. Of like you know because we'll talk to r- voters at rallies, but those are already the energized voters who, who make it out to rallies in the first place, who who, who donate the money and all that. But you know when you sometimes when you're going door to door, you hear the real concerns from folks. And I was talking to people last week during the start of early voting at the polling places, and these were like the most eager voters. You know yeah. they were out there on the first day, um, and getting to talk to them was really re- rewarding. Just to, you know. This election, I've been covering it for almost you know eight months now. So one, it was exciting to you know see some it's action happen. Done, yeah, it's, it's happening. Uh, and then, the first round. Yes, and then uh, actually talking to people about their thoughts was fun. So I wanted to ask you about that because um, thousands of people have early voted, and of course it's early voting around the state for municipal elections around the state. So there's races in Metro Atlanta. There's races all over all over Georgia as well as the mayor's race. But the mayor's race is is one of our main topics, and, and of course most prominent. Uh, areas of coverage. Um, have we learned anything yet in terms of the numbers um, of, of early voters? Has there been a, a neighborhood? Is there is it just too early to see if, if, if people are energized to early vote yet? I think it's too early to see. I'm hoping to get some information on that. I'm planning to ask Ben and Mark Nisi. So stay tuned, stay tuned on that front because yeah. what, will, what will end up happening is we'll have a, a heat map of where the early votes have come from. It's hard to read into the parties, right? Because usually in statewide elections will look at Democratic-leaning voters, Republican-leaning voters turning out. It's hard to do that because it's a different sort of race. But we'll eventually have a heat map so we'll be able to say, oh, Buckhead turned out and, and, and Waves been Southwest Atlanta did as well. What does that mean? It's hard, hard to read into that. It was easier, I'll say, in 2017 because you had geographic divides more uh, between the candidates. Um, in this in this contest, though, it's so uh, it's so muddled. It's going to be hard to, to make any sort of predictions. I agree. It's going to kind of be really interesting to see that final map, especially you know at the end when it sees who voted for what across the city, precinct by precinct. I think you'll see more mixture than we did back in 2017. Now, one more topic of conversation that that dominated a few of your days last week and, and partly mine too, which was all the shenanigans are starting, right? I mean, you know, there's always been an underle- underlying level of shenanigans, but as early voting starts, so does the level of shenan- shenaniganry. I don't know what you call it, but <laughs> the, the, the tomfoolery and the, the campaigns, and this is nothing new for city of Atlanta or for Georgia for that matter, or for any sort of politics, but it really hit a new sort of wave of tension with a phony text message that went out to a lot of Democrats saying, hooray, the Fulton County Republican Party has, has endorsed Felicia Moore. And there's pictures of <laughs> Donald of, Trump. Yeah. There's pictures of Felicia Moore with, it was like sort of transference of properties. There's pictures of Felicia with Burt Jones and then pictures of Burt Jones, who's a state Senator with Donald Trump. So it was like sort of guilt. Transitive property. Transitive. That was, that's why I didn't major in separation science. right there. Yeah, yeah. A couple of degrees. And obviously, that was a false tweet. I mean, it took only a few minutes for us all to figure that out. That this was a this was a this was a campaign gambit. We're not sure where it came from, but we we are certain it was meant to suppress depress Felicia Moore support. It was also meant to uh, bring attention to the fact that the Fulton County Republican Party did have a 
meet and greet with Felicia Moore um, a few days before that text was sent. And so it was kind of uh, meant to, you know, kind of boost that, the fact that that happened and in it, hoping to hurt her performance among Democratic voters. Um, they have clarified that they're not endorsing anyone. It's a nonpartisan race. Um, and Felicia Moore has come out and said, look, there's people in this city that are Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents. I'm going to look for votes where I can get them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, Republicans, I know a lot of Republicans who are supporting Kasim Reed. I know some mm-hmm. Republicans supporting Andre Dickens and Sharon Gay. So uh, not many who are supporting Antonio Brown, but who knows? Uh, but but that, is a, that is a vote that's up for grabs because four years ago, most Republican voters gravitated toward Mary Norwood in the city of Atlanta. There might be 30, 35% of the city's voters might be Republican, maybe more. Um, but now there's no clear home for the GOP voters. Right. So they're all the candidates are, are according GOP voters in their own ways. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really important to do. And the fact that someone even manufactured that sort of um, flyer, it, it does speak to uh, the concerns that the opponents have. We don't know who made it right, but it's clear that folks think uh, Madam President is a threat uh, in terms of being a, a serious contender. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure that we're going to see more wild flyers and advertisements like that uh, with no folks claiming responsibility. So it is yeah. silly season. Yeah, I was going to say. Silly season. Yeah, Felicia called it silly season has begun. And and she's not the only candidate who have been targeted by this. I mean, because former Mayor Reed. Yeah, he's experienced the brunt of these advertisements from billboards to websites to weird YouTube videos, uh, splicing old interviews of his sound bites. Uh, Mr. Dickens had a defund the police vote for Andre Dickens sign or two out there. So, yeah, all of them are dealing with it in, in some shape and form, but uh, especially, uh, you know, former Mayor Reed and uh, Council President Moore. And to be clear, the Dickens sign was no one knows who made that. And it was meant to hurt him because of his vote last year. Um, in support of withholding some police funds so they could figure out what to do with them. But it wasn't a defund the police vote, so a little bit misleading there. Yeah, there'll be a lot more of that to come. We are definitely in silly season. And look to the AJC, look for, look to the Race for City Hall blog for all the latest up-to-date information and sometimes debunking information <laughs> uh, because I know you guys got a lot of phone calls that night. I got a lot of phone calls that night yeah. from freaked out, mostly Democrats, but some Republicans saying, wait, what? They're, they're, the Fulton GOP is taking a stance in this race. What's happening? People were freaking out. <laughs> and that's some, sometimes that's the role we play is telling people, no, it's not happening. Right. I think we're going to be doing more of that, especially as we get closer to Election Day. I'm already starting to see candidates bring up past votes and past actions from sometimes over 10 years ago. And sometimes it's a little bit uh, tricky to know, you know where the truth lies in that. Um, so... That's something that we're going to have to be Lots on high alert for. Lots of checking to come, mm-hmm. oh, yes. for sure. And make sure you subscribe to the Race for City Hall newsletter. Get it in your inbox once a week, and it also runs online and in the print edition. Uh, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you in a few days. Thanks thank you, Greg. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. 
I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,